Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody. This is Brian Smith back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me Conrad Leslie. And I'm going to read Conrad's uh, introduction and we're going to have a conversation like we always do. Um, Conrad is an engineer with over 30 years experience in environmental, geotechnical, geophysical, and oceanographic, oceanographic projects. He's held upper management positions in some of the largest engineering firms in the USA, managing multi-million dollar projects for the U.S. Navy and international clients, before he opened his own firm, QNS Engineering, in 1999. Conrad had a proven track record of success, documented by letters of accommodation from repeat, from repeat clients, and was known for developing innovative solutions. His, profession, his professional career was great until his world collapsed when his only child, Nicholas Leslie, became one of the 86 victims of the ISIS terrorist, settled, ISIS terrorist attack in France on July 14, 2016. Ever since then, Conrad has been on a journey to find meaning and purpose in life, having found comfort and strength in the messages and synchronicities that are just too special to be considered random coincidences. Conrad is on the mission to learn more about the ultimate meaning of reality and shares experiences in order to bring hope to the world, to others, one person at a time. And with that, I want to welcome my friend Conrad Leslie. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Brian. First of all, I just want to thank you. You've been a very important part of our life, too. I know that, you know, your daughter, Shana, you know, she transitioned one year um, before our son. And I just commend how you were able to pick up and start helping others immediately. Something that, you know, for one year, we were just like stayed home and cried basically the whole time. It was just uh, the darkest part of our, our, our anything that we could oh, experience. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm trying to remember, I was trying to think before we got on the call, how long I've known Paola. It's been at least a couple of years, probably three years. When did she become part of Helping Parents Heal? Do you remember? I think probably like around 2017 or 18, you know. Yeah, so I've, I've known Paola for quite a while and I've seen, you know, Paola's journey. I don't I don't know you as well. I've seen you on, on the video you guys did on Swedenborg and Life, which was awesome. Um, so what was, what, do you remember the name of the episode? It was uh, Angels After Terrorism. Yeah, Angels After Terrorism. So for anybody listening, uh, if you're familiar with Swedenborg and life, or if you're not, look up Swedenborg. That's S-W-E-D-E-N-B-O-R-G and life. 
on YouTube and look up Angels After Terrorism. You guys did a, a great job on that episode. Thank you very much. And as I said, Cameron, I don't know you as well, but you and I have, I think, a lot in common, both being engineers and having kind of a materialistic, you know, somewhat worldview before these things happened and really being opened up afterwards. But to get started, what I'd like for you to do is tell us about yourself, tell us about Pola, and tell us about your son, Nick. Well, you know, uh, for me, I was just a very technical person. You know, I was always trying to solve problems for my clients. I actually live their problems, so I, and I would dream uh, solutions. You know, they would just come out of my head, almost like, you know, later on I heard that perhaps, you know, it comes from, from another, you know, from the astral plane or whatever, like, like Nicholas Tesla and all these other people would get inspired. Mm-hmm. But I dedicated all that creativity to my clients. I really never thought anything about the afterlife. I never believed in mediums. I, I never, I, I lived a very simple life. You know, what's, what was real, what was in front of me. I would always tell Nicholas, I go, Nick, you know, we live in this rock and we go around the sun mm-hmm. and each turn is one year. And I said, some people get, you know, three turns, two turns, other people get a hundred. But I would say, you know, but in the long term, you know, it's just, doesn't matter. It's so irrelevant. I said, your time here, just, just a ride. If you look at it like a merry-go-round. So hmm. I really looked at it, you know, very, you know, materialistic and, and not, not in a monetary perspective, but it really, what was mm-hmm. in front of me, you know, it was mm-hmm. solid. And, stuff. and then, you know, in Paola, she was just a, a wonderful, the best mom that anybody could ever uh, hope for, for my son. And, you know, she would bring Nicholas hot lunches to school. His friends would complain to their moms, hey, how come Nicholas gets a hot lunch, you know? She was a stay-at-home mom and just dedicated her life just to, you know, raising Nicholas. And all the friends would come over our house and and would gather there. Paula would cook a pasta and, and, and I would take the kids out to the beach because I worked a lot out of my home. So I would teach them how to surf. And, and I can just tell you that we lived this beautiful life. You know, it was yeah. really... You know, not that I took it for granted, but I didn't really realize how fortunate I was and uh, that it was just living in paradise, you know, in San Diego next to the beach, you know, and my lifestyle was just a, a fairy tale. And I Yeah, still for people that, that are, are not watching this on YouTube and can't see you, I mean, you guys are like three models too. I mean, you and Paola and Nick, you know, like beautiful people living a beautiful life in, in San Diego and, and paradise. So I just want to kind of set that up for people yeah. to understand where you're coming from. Um, I tell you, it still uh, eats me up inside, though, to think that was I just pretentious or was I just naive to think that my life would just keep on being the way it was because I had everything solved. I had a, a retirement plan and I had a plan. My goal was always to set Nicholas up. You know, I came with two immigrant parents and, you know, they couldn't give me a lot, but they gave me the most important thing, which is love and an education. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just wanted to set Nicholas up so he could reach for the stars, but in case he fell or something, you know, he would be able to have a foundation that he wouldn't sure. have to worry about his retirement. So I, I worked diligently to create, you know, long lasting investments and stuff to pass to him. And, uh, and Nicholas was just like the greatest kid that I could ever, you know, have expected or hoped for or anything. You know, he, he I, took, I took him uh, skin diving, you know, with snorkels at three years old up in Aruba. He learned how to become a scuba diver at eight years old and, uh-huh. uh, diving. He used to love to dive with sharks. His goal was to dive with every single shark out there. Um, and he dove with about eight of them. Um, wow. uh, he learned how to kite surf and he became, uh, I think he learned how to kite surf at around nine years old and became a kite surfing instructor at 17. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those kids that was like really focused on everything he did, like his tricks that he did on snowboarding, kite surfing or whatever. He, he wouldn't stop until he per- perfected. And he was the same way about his schooling. 
sometimes, you know, he would like decorate his paper, you know, with the cover, you know, with art. And I was saying, Nicholas, you're not being graded on that. You know, what are you doing? It's like, dad, you know, I just want to do a good job. Or sometimes we'd go up to the mountains to go skiing and it all of a sudden it would dump powder. And I'd say, Nick, we, you know, let's just play hooky a day. And he goes, dad, if I do, I'll fall behind, you know? So he was like yeah. that kind of a kid. Yeah. And it was like an enigma, you know, because he was like a really big guy. He was like, you know, six foot three, 190 pounds and played lacrosse football. And yet he had another side where he was like really creative. And uh, in fact, in his junior year in high school, he quit the lacrosse team to join the speech and debate team, you know, mm-hmm. which, which he, he just got more involved in politics. And, and, and then that was the end of me, obviously, because I could never debate with him about anything. You know, he would always win. You know? I still remember in college when he was, he, he went to UC Berkeley. And I remember that, uh, you know, I, I had a budget for him. And I, and I would say, well, Nick, you know, now you're a college student. You know, you got to eat, you know, ramen and college food and stuff. And he goes, Dad, aren't you kind of being a hypocrite? You know, you raced us. And your mom and I, you know, we raised you to, you know, like organic food, you know, eat really healthy to take care of your health. And now you're trying to cut me off, you know, <laughs> these things. And I was like, oh, you know, so it was just like when, and then suddenly when it just ended so abruptly, um, I'll tell you, we went from, from heaven to hell. You know, I, I've never experienced the depths and darkness you know, and just when I thought that things couldn't get any worse, the fact to see my wife kind of spiraling down into an insanity, you know, was even worse. You know, it's, it's like my pain would get reflected in her eyes and, and for me to see her and not be able to do anything. Yeah. You know, as an engineer, I was always solution. And then as a son of an immigrant, I always, you know, I always thought not to be sexist, but the father took care of the family. And I sure. felt like I had my family down. You know, I failed to protect my son and now I failed to do anything for my wife because I could see her, you know, spiraling down, down, darker and darker. And I just wanted to lift her up, but I couldn't. And every time I would try to help, I was making things worse. And then, you know, and and I guess that's how we grieve differently. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. like, you know, now I've learned that when she's having a day like that, I just like back off a little bit and let her experience what she's experiencing. But before that I was always trying to find a solution and the same tools that made me successful in my career just work completely against me. You know, before I was all about being confident and, and there's always a solution. Don't focus on the problem. You know, don't roll over like a puppy dog and just accept no, right. solve it, figure right. it out, make it happen. And, and uh, I, I went nuts trying to figure out what happened. How did it happen? Just the timing, you know, because, you know, it happened to Nicholas in, in Nice. He was mm-hmm. um, um, admitted to this special program, a study abroad program. It's called the European Innovative Academy, where kids compete uh, to come up with an app. And then whoever wins gets funded. You know, there's, I think, Google's part of it and all these other companies. And he was there just one night with his group of friends just walking down the promenade. And um, this man uh, that was just confused as an ISIS person, you know, just ran a barricade and took a truck and used it into a, a weapon of mass destruction and, you know, running over, you know, 86 people. And I always think like, you know, on the promenade, there's like a lot of dog poop. And I go, I go, if he would have just like stepped in something, you know, and he would just stepped and stopped for three seconds just yeah. to wipe his foot down, he would have not been at that space and that time. 
and then I started just thinking about time and, 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 you know, destiny, you know, thinking like that everything that he did, you know, made him go to that specific place and time. Yeah. If he study, you know, he wouldn't have done good in school. If he didn't do good in high school, he wouldn't have uh, gone to Berkeley. If he didn't do good there, he wouldn't have gone to this program. If, if he didn't make the decision to maybe have a beer or something before he left, you know, he would, you know, so everything that he did brought him to that space and time. And, 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 like, and I don't have any answers. I, I, I went crazy, you know, trying to find out is it destiny, you know, was it just coincidence? Was it just, you know, I, you know, and finally I, I just realized that the best path for me, which was the hardest thing that I've ever done was really surrender, you know, surrender to the, to the fact that I'll never know that all I, all I do know is that something happened that was really terrible from my perspective, you know, and I like to think that it, it you know, for Nicholas, it, it's, it's something else. It's something grander. And based yeah. on all the signs that he's given us and all the indications, I strongly believe that. Yeah. Well, you, you touched on so much there. I want to get, I kind of go back over. Um, one of the things is, I don't get to talk to very many men, um, not many men in healthy parents heal, not many men in this whole field of afterlife studies. But, you know, I, I just relate so much to what you said about, you know, not being able to protect our families. And no matter what it is that causes, you know, their demise, in my case, it was my daughter, you know, down the hallway, and she had a, a heart condition that led to her to her passing. But you think as a father, I'm supposed to take care of this. I'm the fixer, right? Yeah. And, and I'm the protector. And then when you look at your wife, you know, after this happens and you're like, okay, what can I do to fix this? So it could, it could be a very, you know, helpless feeling that we have, uh, I think, Absolutely. you know, as men. Yeah. So um, you, you mentioned that you and Paula grieve or were grieving differently. How has that changed over the years? It's coming up on four years now. How has, how have things developed? Well, you know, I think Paula, I guess quicker than I got into the spirituality, started, you know, speaking, you know, looking into mediums, you know, and she found uh, helping parents heal um, and, you know, listening to, to your, your uh, Zoom meetings versus me. I just went in more, I just dug into the science part of it, which, you know, which even though I, I did a lot of science work, you know, using, you know, sound to estimate the depth of bedrock and stuff in geophysics, it was more like classical physics and, 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 mm-hmm. and had no idea about quantum mechanics except just for the math, you know, that it was, you know, very difficult to do, but it helped us, you know, develop formulas for electricity and for all these great things that we use. Mm-hmm. But I really never really knew about the strangeness of, of, strangeness of uh, quantum mechanics until we came back from France after, uh, you know, we, we, after it happened. And I went into Nicholas's room and I saw some documents. He was writing like a screenplay. And he read and he was writing about quantum mechanics and quantum physics and about entanglement and superposition. So I, I just got I started diving into that and hmm. uh, just trying to I, was, I guess I was trying to find Nicholas through physics mm-hmm. versus Nick. Apollo was trying to find Nicholas through spirituality. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think at the end, we all went kind of in separate ways. I dug deeper and deeper. My rock stars became, you know, physicists, you know, from Stanford, you know, like Leonard Seskine, you know, Sean Carroll, you know, Brian Green. Those were became my heroes. You know, Paula's heroes became, you know, mediums and stuff and people that, you know, had out-of-body experiences. And I think that eventually we did kind of converge in that 
we found out that, you know, that spirituality and kind of physics kind of like blend and, and, and some point where they both becomes philosophy in a way, you know, because I mean, yeah. after it's all these theoretical physics after a point, you know, multiverses and, you know, holographic universes, things that cannot be proven, for mm -hmm. instance. I mean, we have formulas, we believe the math says it is, but, you know, how do you prove it? You know, is, is, or is there any, anything that could be proven? But I think at the end of the day, we kind of like combine and I kind of like went over, I guess, to her side and she kind of came over to my side mm -hmm. and we kind of blended uh, into this, you know, uh, I guess a, a new reality that we were in and, yeah. and, and we found that we could find Nicholas through spirituality and through the weirdness of quantum mechanics thinking like, you know, well, if particles could be entangled and, and could be separated, you know, light years away and, and immediately communicate with each other. You know, what about the bond that love makes, you know, those cells, they came from palace inside and it was part of us and the love mm -hmm. founded us. So I feel like we're still connected. You know, if things could be in a superposition, you know, I mean, that just blows my mind how, you know, things, you know, in the smallest scales and subatomic world could be right. a wave function that could exist in multiple places at once, you know, as per, you know, like the double slit experiment could mm -hmm. prove and everything. So if that, if that strange kind of stuff could happen, why is it strange to believe that there is an afterlife? You know, why is there strange to believe that our consciousness could kind of be uploaded like in a cloud, let's say, you know, of data or something like a global collective consciousness. So even though I don't have the answers and, and I fear that I'll never will, you know, it made me, I guess it reassured me that, it could happen and, and 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 that's what i believe in stay with us we'll be right back hey there i'm testing out a new feature i'd love to get your feedback on it it's called fan mail and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast so look for the link that says send me a text you can ask a question for a future podcast you can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want just remember it is one way i can't text you back and i will not have your name your email address or your phone number, unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that because I've I've, I've kind of kind of the same thing. Um, I think that I look at physics and spirituality now; it's all one reality, mm -hmm. and it's different ways of approaching this one reality. And, and I, my personal belief is what we call the supernatural is just what we don't understand yet. But as you're right, you know, you look at like some of the things that Einstein said, like, you know, time is an illusion. I mean, what does that mean? It seems very real to, to, to us, right? Or what Max, Max Planck said that, you know, consciousness precedes the material, that consciousness is fundamental. And our materialistic scientists have completely forgotten all those things and said, well, it's all just what we can see, feel, touch, right? But then quantum mechanics comes along. So I, I'm, I'm tracking with everything that you said. And, I, and it's certainly interesting that you and Paola took different approaches and kind of went around to come back to, to right. kind of the same place. That's right. Absolutely. And it, and it helps me in stuff. You know, it's like whenever I have a doubt, you know, I always fall back, back to Einstein's special theory of relativity, you know, that the, the present, the past and the future are all happening now. It's just the perspective of, of that. All things are happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, and so basically I say to myself, well, you know, and I know it's kind of like a cop out because I still firmly believe in an afterlife, but my, backup moment is like well all things are happening now so that means that i'm still with nicholas right now nicholas is being born right now you know we're snowboarding right now all those things it just keeps on going it's like uh it's just based on what you experience as your now moment 
And as Einstein said, you know, that, that could change. Your time ticks differently based on your proximity to a gravitational source or your speed, which right. just kind of blows me away, you know, and, but it's proven, you know, that's why our satellites, you know, we give them time corrections because our clocks out in space are affected by less gravity and therefore tick at a different rate. And if we didn't put in those time corrections, our GPSs would be way off. And they've proven, you know, flying, you know, air, you know, atomic clocks around the world and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and they know mm -hmm. that time ticks differently. So, you know, I do believe that I'm still, I guess, you know, my fallback position that I feel super confident, you know, is that that everything's happening right now and I'm still with Nicholas and I'm still enjoying it. And now some of the new theories like the multiverse, you know, from Sean Carroll and uh, Hugh Everett, you know, that they expanded on, they're saying that every time that we experience a quantum event, you know, we split and, and part of us, you know, gets connect with one reality and the other part connects with the other realities, you know, and therefore um, there's another reality where I am still with Nick and he, Nick didn't go to Nice or Nick left a little later and everything's fine. And I'm still, you know, working, trying to pay for his college and, and everything's all, you know, the way it's, I guess the way I would have liked it to be. Yeah. Well, you know, all those things are what they, what they do tell us. And even though I don't understand them, where they tell me, as you said earlier, there's infinite possibility. There's, there's things are possible that we weren't aware of with classical physics. So classical physics, we all said, okay, well, we're just this accidental, in a product of an uncaring universe where we're a, a biological robot in a meat suit. There's no such thing as a soul or a spirit. We're born and we die and that's it. But these things don't fit in with what science is finding out about consciousness right now. They, scientists, you know, they can't even tell us what consciousness is. They can't tell us why it exists. There's like, it shouldn't. I mean, there's no reason to believe this as material things get more and more complex, the consciousness should arise out of that. And, and what is it? And what is it? And then when you really think about it, what do we have besides consciousness? That's, that's all you and I have is our consciousness. All right. Everything yeah. we experience is through that, that, that consciousness. Correct. And now, you know, in fact, I was just reading another book um, and it was about um, biocentrism. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was talking about how everything that we really see is not even there that everything that we see is just really photons of light that ricochet off objects. They go in through our eyes and then they get converted into a chemical electrical signal right. and they get, you know, gets created in the back of our heads. Right. So really, you know, that, that, you know, I guess that's a further evidence that, you know, we could just, it's all about the consciousness. Yeah. So, you know, it's really, I guess it's fascinating to talk to you and, and talk to someone that kind of gets into this stuff kind of the way that I do. Um, because it's, I don't understand it. You know, I'm, I'm reading this stuff, the quantum physics, but it just blows my mind. And it really goes back to what philosophers and frankly, theologians have told us for hundreds of thousands of years, as far as who we really are. But with you, you've had some really special experiences besides just all this theoretical stuff. I mean, Nick, you sent me a document called gifts from Nick, which is just full of, you know, things that you've synchronicities you've gotten from Nick. And I, and what I really like about it, Conrad, is you come from, Again, a very, it's not a woo-woo perspective because everything that you've talked about, more than one person experienced and it's evolved with, and so you've got, you know, you've got people that were there and evidence. So why don't you take us through some of the signs that Nick has sent you? Absolutely. You know, and like uh, I said, I, I still haven't figured out how they come, but <laughs> I, I call them gifts from Nick because they come to us at the right moment 
And the message is so intensity, you know, intense that I just cannot accept them as random coincidences. I've had my chair of random coincidence, like meeting somebody in a strange place, like, hey, what are you doing here? You know, but these things were intense. And I, and I think maybe perhaps the first one that we experienced was one that I didn't believe in at first. You know, uh, one, they held a vigil at UC Berkeley for Nick and while we were in France. And, uh, well, everybody was gathered at things Spruill Hall, where they had the first uh, MedMen demonstrations and everything, big gathering. Mm -hmm. And a falcon flew over the heads of the crowds. And one of our, the parents that were there, uh, their son went to school with Nicholas. And our colors for school at Torrey Pines were the falcons. That was the name of it, the, the Torrey Pine Falcons. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I think it was a sign. And I was like, what does a falcon have to do with my son being, you know, you know, taken, you know, by this ISIS guy, you know, and I was like almost, you know, like in shock a little bit, you know, I just didn't accept it. And it wasn't until his high school, Tory Pines called me up and they asked me if I could show them a photograph, if I could send them a photograph of Nicholas wearing Falcon colors. Mm -hmm. So I went upstairs and I started looking through all those old photos and I had thousands of photos, you know, he was our only kid and, you know, yeah. I was like nuts with the camera and, and Brian, it was the most hurtful, I just couldn't do it. it. It felt like I was dying. Every picture that I would click and I would look at it was like, oh, just the pain. I could almost, I could, I could sense it. He's talking about it. My hair, my hair stands up. Yeah, me too. And it was like, I, I compared it to like doing something that you don't want to do. Like if I was in a cesspool up to my neck and had to hold my breath and dive to grab like a pearl and that pearl was his memory, mm. you know, and bring it up. And I didn't care how, how bad and, and painful I had to find it, but I was crying out loud, very mm. loud. And at that moment, Paula heard me and she came up saying, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I crying, I said, I'm looking for Nicholas wearing falcon colors. And she go, and she repeated, she goes, falcon colors. And she started crying and we're hugging each other. And a falcon came and landed in our fence within 50 <laughs> feet of us and stood there looking at us, like just looking at us. And, and we stopped crying and we were like in shock. And, and even though, you know, he didn't, falcon didn't say anything, obviously, but right. I felt like a message saying, it's, it's okay. I'm yeah. here. It's okay. Yeah. And then once we calmed down and we were like, it just in, in amazement, the Falcon just flew away. Yeah. And, uh, and we were just like shocked, you know, and, uh, and, and I guess, first of all, I guess it started even these signs even started before, you know? Yeah. I want you to take If you don't mind, would you tell me the one about the message from your mother? Cause this is yeah, before Nick even passed. Really, really strange. You know, yeah. like I said, you know, you know, I didn't believe in anything. I was raised Catholic and stuff. I wasn't practicing, but, you know, I just believed in trying to take care of my family and, and you know, trying to go on vacations with him. And, you know, and, uh, and my mom, she, I, you know, I told her she, she would try to convince Nicholas that there's something more. And Nicholas was like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah you, know, you don't understand math. You don't understand, you know, these things. My mom was like 90 years old, but she's very active. She used to drive from L.A. to San Diego by herself, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, very strong lady. And then one day, we're, Paula and I were walking. Nicholas is in college. Uh, we're watching a, a comedy on TV. And Paula got up to use the restroom. And as she walked back from the bathroom, uh, in our hallway, we had this little area where I had a couple of trophies for my mom. My mom was like a really famous Spanish dancer. 
uh, and she won these awards and, and she gave me some of the books that she had and some of the photos and I had it there because every time if I, she came over and she didn't see them, we'd get in trouble. She'd be like, oh, don't you care about your mama? You know, and then all of a sudden when she got close to that area, Paula let out a scream. And I said, Paula, what's the matter? And she goes, I don't know. I felt like you were hiding and you, you, were gonna, you startled me. And I said, I'm, I'm here in the couch. What are you talking about? So she came in, she sat down in the couch. And then uh, we started continuing the movie. And all of a sudden she kind of like yanked back and grabbed me. And she goes, I just got a message. She says, tell Nicholas that there's more to life. There's life after death. He said, there's more to life after life. Just wow. Like and I looked at her and I go, Paula, you are so weird. I said, where did you come up with this stuff? You know, and I just, I laughed it off and I was laughing. She started laughing and we continued the movie. And about maybe less than 10 minutes after that, we get a call from a police officer that says my mother had just been admitted to the hospital and she, you know, she had transitioned. Mm. And, and we were like shocked, you know, not because of the message, just the fact that my mom had passed, you know, it was right. like shocking to us, you know, and it was like, and uh, we completely forgot the message. We didn't know what to do. We weren't prepared. You know, you never prepare for these things, you know. And so we had to, you know, make arrangements. And later on her memorial, uh, Paula and I had a big debate. You know, we had, well, do we tell Nicholas what my mom said? We realized. And I right. said, at first I said, no way. I go, we're going to freak him out. He's in school. Things are already, you know, challenging and stuff. I, that's the last thing you want to tell some kid that. But then we realized the message was so direct. and so direct to Nicholas that I mm -hmm. felt, you know, I think we have to. Mm -hmm. And we did. And uh, Nicholas played it off pretty casually. He's like, ah. but later, I guess he had really, you know, started thinking, he was a very bright kid. And he started reading about spirituality, about lucid dreams, about afterlife. <laughs> because before Nicholas thought that, you know, all these experiences are really just DMT being released in your brain and it doesn't mm -hmm. really happen. It's a figment of your imagination. And then all of a sudden we found all these books that he had. He was reading all these, you know, physics books about, you know, reality and about, you know, uh, you know, being yourself, you know, thinking positive, tapping into the astral plane, all these things that he never, he never really discussed it with us. Mm -hmm. But in a way I feel now that my mom kind of like prepared us and prepared him, you know, yeah. for what would happen. And uh, yeah, I guess time is differently for people that have transitioned. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, so this this was about two years before Nicholas passed, is that right? Probably about a year. One, okay. one year, exactly. Wow. Terrible. You know, first my mom passed, and within a year. Then before that, then after that, my dad passed, and then Nicholas. And, and it was like, you know, one, two, three, and just devastated. But still, you know, with that message... Um, 
and I didn't recognize the power of that message until I started getting synchronicities, you know, and, and like that, you know, we've had some ones that are just, just blowing me away, you know, like after the Falcon uh, one, I had another one that just was even more bizarre, Brian. Um, when we were in Nice during his vigil, um, this friends had a picture of Nicholas and they blew it up. Mm. And I refer to the story like the postal, you know, the postal service, you know, because uh, they, they, they built, I guess they, they blew up a good picture of him, uh, possibly, you know, I'd say maybe like three feet by two feet photo mm-hmm. and uh, they gave it to us. So somehow we made sure that we were able to fit into our suitcase. We got it in. And as soon as we got back home, we hung it on the wall. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like it. Every time I walked by that photo, I would cry. And I would cry because it, was, it would hurt me so much because I needed more. I go, I, you know, every other photograph of Nicholas in our house is just full. You know, our whole stairs were just full of like him being little, you know, diving first, doing this, progressing then into like his adulthood. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that was the only photograph that I had. So big that I had not taken. So since I didn't take that photograph, I didn't know all the other photographs. I knew exactly what we were doing. You know, we were at the beach that day. We were doing. We were eating this. Nicholas was smiling because of this. You were there. I was. All right. Okay. Sorry about that. So, we had a little technical difficulty. I think Nick jumped in there. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead, Conrad. So basically, I, I was um, looking at this photograph that. Um, I don't know if, if I, should I go back to the beginning or? Yeah, you were saying this photograph that they had taken and blown up and you, you all the other photos in your house, you were about there. Correct. And, and so we had this photograph hung in the house and, but I didn't like it because it hurt me. And every time I walked by, I cried because he had a beautiful smile. He was in a beautiful place. He looked really happy, but I didn't know what I needed more. I, I go, is this like the last photograph of Nicholas and I need more, I, you know, all the other photographs I had taken, all mm-hmm. the other photographs I knew, all the background story, what he was doing, what we ate, where, we, where did we go afterwards? What did we do before? And, and because of that, I could look at those photographs and actually take a trip in my imagination and right. my memory, right. what we had done. But this was the only one that was like, okay, it's a picture of Nick. I, and, and I would argue to Paula saying, no, I can't see it, Paula. It's hurting me too much. I said we need to take it off, and Paula would we would argue. No, no, this is our last. We need to have the it. Last I'm like, picture, yeah. Too much. Yeah. And then, but you know, uh, she just kept on insisting. And then one day, I went there and I just looked at it and I just cried out loud. And I said, Paula, honestly, man, I need more. That photo's got to go. And I kid you not, Brian. Within maybe three minutes or less of me saying that, somebody knocked at my door. And I walked in and, and I walked to the door and it was a postman delivering a brown paper box. And inside this little package, I opened it up and there was a photo album made by one of the kids that he met in, in France, uh, part of the program. Mm-hmm. And the cover photo of the album was the same photo that I was looking at. Mm. And inside the album was notes and stories of everything that Nicholas was doing at the moment. Wow. So basically I go, wow, you know, it's like, you know, now that photo, we took that photo with us everywhere we go now because like I got really what I was looking for. You know, I was looking for more details, what he did, what his friends were thinking, what was he doing, what they did. And this photo album just specifically told the whole story. Like in this photo, Nicholas Royce would just finish a big game. Um, and that's not the only photograph uh, weird experience that I've, that I've had. Mm-hmm. We had another one. Uh, that happened um, soon after that. 
you know, we were really fortunate to get the support that we did since, you know, Nicholas was a victim of, of terrorism. We had a special group of the FBI that, uh, that helps parents or helps people, victims of terrorist crimes. Mm. So they assigned this agent and, and, you know, she's an agent, but she was an angel. She was with us. She, she goes shopping for us, pick up prescriptions. She helped us find a therapist. You know, she did everything for us. You know, she was there and it was just so weird. It's another part of the government that you never see. Her name was Becky. And I, and I tell you that she was more of an angel than an FBI agent. She was there yeah. with us, crying with us, you know, hugging us, just, you know, just calming us down. And um, we, were, we were home and uh, we, we found a therapist and they were talking to us and, and they were telling us that Nicholas was in the light. Mm-hmm. And, and meanwhile, Paula was like saying, well, what do you mean in the light? What does that mean? But the way, you know, Paula was like really, you know, different. She was like really aggressive, you know, which was she's never like that. She was like just combative and angry. And she's like, well, what? just kind of arguing back, saying, you know, what do you mean a light? Like what? Like a light just hanging from the sky, just there for eternity? It's like a light? Yeah. What does that mean, a light? Right. And, and as they were arguing, she's like saying, no, he's like part of the light and all this stuff. But Paula kept on falling back on just what, a light, a fixture there, just like a point. And meanwhile, I kind of like dosed off and went into my own imagination. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at another photograph that his friends had blown up uh, of him because they held a paddle out surf vigil in Del Mar for him where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the photograph was a photograph that I'd taken myself. Um, but I took it against the sun. So basically you could see Nicholas's face barely. You could see the waves, but the, it was overexposed. Mm-hmm. So you really couldn't see the features of his face. I could, I could make out that he was smiling, yet I really couldn't tell, you couldn't really see it clearly. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it was like the only photograph that I had of him kind of like big and grown up smiling. Cause you know, as a young man, they all like to yeah. do that yeah, yeah. face or yeah. whatever they do. You know? <laughs> They like to do that pout look, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he had just this beautiful smile on his face. And I was like looking at the photograph saying, what a shame, I can't believe, I, I, you know, I can't see. I just wish I could actually see. And at that moment, Paula's still discussing about the light and, and, the, and the therapist, uh, which was her friend, she said, you know, Nicholas is in the light. And at that moment, we had skylights in our living room and it was an overcast day. And the sun, I guess, broke through the clouds, mm-hmm. shined through the skylight, and created a frame of light around his face. And the light was so intense, Brian, that in the original photo, you could see him and you see the horizon very clearly behind him and everything, perfect line. Mm-hmm. The light was so intense that it whited out the horizon and everything around Nicholas's face. The only thing that you could actually see was a perfect square around his face and his smile just shining bright. Yeah. We looked at it at that moment and uh, I happened to have my cell phone and I just grabbed a photo of it and then the sun just kind of like covered and and he just kind of went away. It's amazing. Amazing, you know, and it was like, and thinking like, and, and all those moments, like, you know, they were just like kind of confirming things, like telling us, like sending us messages saying, hey, I'm okay. There's something more, you know, to this. There's, you're not seeing the real picture. You're not seeing the whole thing. 
you yeah. know, not the whole thing. But you know, you know, it's kind of right as, I, as I'm as you're telling the story, and you probably think I'm going to guess you're probably thinking the same way. I'm thinking, okay, well, it's the timing of the of the conversation they were having, right? Yeah. It's the, it's the fact that this, it was an overcast day. It's the position of the sun in the sky. It's the position of the picture in your house in relation to the skylight. Correct. And, and all these things have to line up for yes. time and position. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, Nicholas being in Nice, where he was, where the terrorist attack was. Absolutely. And these things happen and you're like, that can't be a coincidence. No, it can't. You know, I mean, I, I had a, you know, before it, it happened to me, um, I, I had like a really interesting experience too, you know, which was like a kind of a lucid dream that I had or, but it was kind of more of a visitation and, um, and it opened up my mind to some of these things a lot more. Hmm. And it was, uh, I was in bed and I'll never forget this almost like it was an angel. I, I call it. And I never believed in angels, Brian, you know, I mean, when I was small, I grew up in Spain and angels to me were these little fat little kids with wings that were in photos, you know, and this thing being was like in the foot of my bed, probably like seven foot gigantic. Hmm. And I just remember being frozen just in bed, just looking at it. I wasn't scared, but I just couldn't move. And I could see my feet, the tips of my feet coming out of the blanket. Mm-hmm. And I could see this presence. And I, and, I, and, I, and I said to myself, Nick, is this you? Mm-hmm. And at that moment, you know, this angel kind of like opened up his wings and, and just kind of went like this. And, and I, I feel kind of embarrassed kind of like telling this story because it seems like weird, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, it's but interesting you were saying I, it was a dream, but in your dream, you were in bed, right? Yeah, I was in bed and looking and, and, uh, and, and uh, I just hope it just doesn't, you know, destroy my credibility or anything, you know, but he basically, I felt the wind in my face when mm-hmm. he did that. And I couldn't really see his face completely, but I could see the expression. It was like, and it wasn't like a smiling thing. It was like a very intense look, like a mission, like he had a mission, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> And then I felt this message to say, look through the window, look through the window. Just, that's the only thing. It kept on repeating and repeating and repeating, look through the window to the hmm. point that all of a sudden, like I, I, I was back like in my body and immediately I got out of bed and opened up the window physically because I thought that's what the message was, to look mm-hmm. through the window. And I was looking and I didn't see anything. And then I, I, I sat down in bed again. I dozed off and again, look through the window, look through the window, look through the window. And I got up one more time and, and, and I, this went on and I just kind of forgot. And it wasn't until Swedenborg, until he told me that and Swedenborg had written that, that it's good to see through the window that we could actually open up our eyes mm-hmm. uh, to another reality. It's like almost peeking through the veil. Mm-hmm. And I find it really interesting that the message was look through the window instead of like look out the window. You see now I, I, I major in the minor sometimes mm-hmm. in these things, you know, like sure. may, will, and can. You know, because they're important, especially when I write a report, I'm very picky on the words. And, mm-hmm. and he said, look through the window, which to me meant that to peek at this exterior reality, but from this side of the veil, mm-hmm. don't let, don't allow myself to go too far beyond, you know, go out and stick my head and, and, and live mm-hmm. that other life that somehow I still had to be in this side, mm-hmm. but I was able to look. And I think after, after having that invitation, I think that kind of, opened my, my, my mind up, you know, opened up to accepting these signs that I was getting um, yeah. as being real and, as, and, 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 and giving them meaning 
instead of just writing them off as random coincidences. Well, Conrad, you know, you said you hope that doesn't destroy your, your reputation, um, but you, you framed it as a dream, right? You didn't say it really happened. So we, things happen in our dreams, but I think it really <laughs> happened. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, I've had visitations from my daughter that seem very, very real. And, you know, and, and well, you know about Swedenborg now, right? So this guy right. had all kinds of crazy experiences. Right. And we, you know, I understand what you're saying. And I interview people and they I was, I was talking to a woman last week that talked about fairies. <laughs> and she had written it. She was giving me her intro and she, she mentioned fairies. And this is a very credible woman. She's owned a, a multi, you know, thousand dollar business with 400 employees and 13,000 or yeah, 13,000 customers. And she said, yeah, but I've, I've seen fairies. So, <laughs> you know, um, there's a whole lot more to this world than, than we're aware of. And Absolutely. when you talk about these synchronicities and I'll have you tell one or two more, if you don't mind, but you sent me a document, with a bunch of them in there, they're undeniable. So we know that those things happen. So, you know, whether this experience you had was just your consciousness or your higher self speaking to you or whatever it was, I believe that it was your experience. Well, it really helped because if not, uh, you know, I, I would have, and I, and then, and I didn't click with it until later, until like, you know, I, I realized the meaning, what does look through the window means. But besides these photographs, we've had like physical things to happen to us mm -hmm. that have just kind of blown our minds. Um, you know, for instance, you know, we took our first trip, which we, you know, we, we used to travel so much, you know, but, you know, after this, we, you know, we kind of like lost all motivation to do anything. It was really hard. And, and for Paula, that was her passion. She never liked anything fancy, cars or jewelry. She just liked to enjoy time with the family mm -hmm. and spend, you know, any money that we had, you know, building memories. And we finally got enough nerve to take a trip to out and we went to New Zealand and we arrived at this beautiful place called the Blue Pools, which is where two glacier rivers meet and they create these deep water pools that are just blue, like an indigo blue, beautiful colors. And the whole riverbanks are just scattered. Just the whole shorelines is with you know millions of of, of rocks, round, polished, flat uh, rocks. Mm -hmm. And as we're looking there, we looked at the water, and the water looks so beautiful. And uh, Paula started to cry, you know. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I better tell you the beginning of that dream, that the whole scenario to kind of set it up. Okay. The night yeah. before we went there, I had a, a visitation from Nicholas. And it was so strange, Ryan, you know, he, I was there in a place where I, I knew I shouldn't be because I could recognize that I didn't belong there. And he was there with a smile and I just was holding him and I was like, I was saying, nope, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I said, I don't care. I'm staying right here. I, I knew that I, I, you know, that somebody was going to kick me out somehow, but I was there with him. And then he just kind of slipped through my hands with a smile. And I was like, and I knew it was like my time to go. And before he left, he, I go, Nick, do you have anything to tell me? And without speaking, he just kind of communicated with me with a smile. He goes, stay with mom, move forward, and find joy in life. Mm. And immediately I woke up and I wrote it down. And I woke Paula up. I was like so excited. And it was mm. like so real. I mean, it was like I was there. I was there with him. And then, and then the next day we went to this blue pool place. Mm. And we're standing there and Paula started to cry. And I go, Paula, you know, listen, you know, I mean, you believe this stuff. You believe it wholeheartedly. You know, you, you're the one that brought me into more into this, these odd, bizarre things, you know, the supernatural, let's call it, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you really are serious about what you believe and you really want to live that life, you got to believe what Nicholas told us 
to find joy in life. You know, we have to find joy in life. We cannot live like this. This is just unsustainable. We can't do this. And, and she was just like sad, you know, because we couldn't share such a beautiful spot with Nicholas. And as soon as I yeah. said, I, we got to find joy in life. Paula looked down in her feet and there was a flat river rock with the letter J mm-hmm. in a circle around it. And I do some geology work or geotechnical engineering work. So it was basically a crystalline formation that had grown in this flat rock and the rocks about an inch and a half, two inches diameter mm-hmm. with the letter J, you know, in, in three dimensional, basically. So it's like it built up in top of the rock. So it wasn't etched. Wow. It was a build up of the rock on white. The rock is like a dark gray and this white with a J in a circle all around the perimeter of the rock. And then we looked at it because the sun at that moment, you know, shined the light <laughs> on it and it caught our eyes and we picked it up and it was like joy, J for joy. And it was like in that moment, I did something that, you know, I probably wouldn't have done, but I went and I took a dip in that cold water. So I knew that Nick would have done it. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, so yeah, okay. I think it's awesome. I think that, and even, even some of the moves that we've had here, Brian, the fact that, you know, after like 20 years that we lived in San Diego, you know, uh, Nicholas, uh, you know, he grew up there, you know, 20 years, you know, we had, a, we had friends or my business and everything there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, we eventually moved out, you know, we couldn't be in the house. It was just too sad. It was such a happy house, but we cried so much. It was so uh, painful that we couldn't live there anymore. And we moved to a small little condo here in Hawaii. And, um, but before all this happened, uh, I went to Nicholas and I said, Nicholas, do you know what? I think I figured out a way where I could retire without having to sell our primary residence. Mm-hmm. You know, that way I could give it to you. I go, I'm going to rent it out, but and I'll keep the revenue, but that, but the house will be yours and it'll stay with you. And that way you'll have something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like really hoping to get this big hug from him and say, gee, dad, thanks. You know, yeah. you're the because that's probably what I would have said to my parents. But instead, he looked at me and he goes, Dad, you don't have to worry about me anymore. And I was like, I go like, what? What are you talking about? You know, and he, he goes, uh, um, you know, I'm at Berkeley. I'll be fine. He says, mm-hmm. you guys belong in Hawaii. And I said, yeah, and because we used to always go there, you know, for vacation to uh, windsurf and kitesurf. And I, and I was like kind of shocked. I looked at him like, like mild. And I said, well, is he just being you know, you know, overconfident or is he just like being a young kid, being kind of naive, doesn't realize the value of having a house, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of just let it go because I knew either way, it was just his way of showing love to us, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, you guys, you said, you said, sell the house and move to Hawaii, you know, instead of giving it to me, I was like, wow. And then it didn't hit me until, you know, he transitioned and we went back home. And uh, the property that we moved in was uh, an investment property. It was a condo that we had here for like almost 20 years, and we, but we never lived it. I bought it when my business was doing really good and then realized that I, I really couldn't afford to keep a second house. <laughs> so we had to rent it full time. And the tenant called me up about a month after this thing happened. And he goes, um, I just want to give you a notice that we're moving out. This is your rental and property in Hawaii. So, yeah. And I was like so shocked, Ryan, you know. I didn't care. I said, you know what? There's just no way I'm going to deal with this now. There's no way I'm going to find another tenant, fix up this place. There's no way. I said, you know what? I don't, the bank could keep it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Everything's lost. And I just gave up. 
And, uh, and, and, and the guy, you know, the guy was kind of shocked, you know, <laughs> he goes, well, don't worry, Connor, you know, I'll show it for you. You know, I'll try to, you know, fix it up. And I was like, I, you know, and, I, and that was really nice of him. And, uh, all of a sudden it clicked on me. I go, well, wow, maybe this was like what Nicholas said that we belong in Hawaii. And maybe we got to follow these signs, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I believe them, you know, mm-hmm. I believe in these signs and they're kind of helping guide our life, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, in that moment I said, I, convinced Paola and she didn't want to go you know I said Paola we you know maybe we should just go we'll go there and we'll just fix up the house and we'll sell it and then we'll you know we'll get away from here and then we'll move back to San Diego and stuff and you know after like you know time considering we finally decided to do it and we hired a realtor to rent the house for like executive rentals and stuff and we Brian we didn't let the realtor in the house once in three months that he had the listing mm-hmm. with clients Every time you'd want to come over, it was like, no, this is not a good time. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we couldn't have people walking into our house. We were crying in the couch. One, I'm crying in the couch. Paula's crying in the bedroom. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, there's just no way we were going to let, we wouldn't let even our friends in. You know, it mm-hmm. was like, we just wanted to be alone, you know, and just kind of like go through this thing. Finally, after three months, we gave up and I told the realtor, I said, uh, I'm sorry, this is just not going to work out. I apologize. I'm just wasting your time. And just, and then I had a dream of Nicholas, still with his Hawaii theme in Hawaii clothes, hmm. like doing a hula dance, kind of, you know, and you know, st- with a smile. And I, and I, I just still couldn't understand. It's like, well, I try to go to Hawaii, you know, but how is this gonna work, you know? Mm-hmm. Two days later, my next door neighbor comes over, and we started talking, and I found out that I guess that day we were renting next door. And he goes, yeah, you know, my wife's pregnant. I think we're going to need a bigger house. And I, and I said, and we're moving out. And I said, well, mine's for rent. And immediately he goes, I'll take it. And he goes, there's <laughs> only one condition. I, we have to be out by May 1st. That's when we gave our thing. And May 1st is when our place became empty. Wow. So it was like a perfect transition. And they have two beautiful kids. And now our house has these two beautiful kids, wow. young people, I think three years old running around you know making the house happy again that you know maybe one day we'll we'll move back and and it'll be a different place you know you won't it'll be a happy again you know yeah so so we keep on following nick's signs and 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 the things that he tells us and and uh and one of the the biggest ones that uh he really helped me and i know that you said you wanted to talk about that was about forgiveness you know and that really really hit the spot you know I, I read a biography that he was writing for a project in, in France I guess they, they wanted to write about themselves mm-hmm. and he wrote that having traveled so much with us he had learned you know that you know there's different cultures different perspectives and one should never jump too quick to judge somebody mm-hmm. because you never understand really what motivates the people to do the things that they do you know, you'll, if you don't know the motivation, you can't really judge them. Right. And at that time, Brian, I had so much anger in my heart. You know, I, I really wanted to go to Syria and fight, you know, with the Kurds against the ISIS. You know, I, I wanted to go there, volunteer and fight. I wanted to kill. I wanted to do, I wanted yeah. to express my pain. I wanted to get revenge. Yeah. You know, and I remember the, uh, the FBI person and our therapist are t- talking me out of it. He's like, no, Conrad, you can't be serious. You know, this is like crazy, you know. And eventually uh, I saw a Swedenborg show. And, and I think Swedenborg said something about the same thing about 
how motivation, how sometimes you could do something really good and you can maybe unite the whole world under Christianity, but you do it for the wrong reason, for the motivations, your own ego or something. Mm-hmm. You have somebody that does something very terrible, destroys the whole world, you know, religions and everything, but he does it out of love for God, his, mm-hmm. you know, his intention. And he said that, that perhaps a person who did it with good motivations maybe will have an easier time, you know, forgiving himself and, and, and living instead of the person who did it for his own ego, you know? So that really put me in this path to, you know, and like I'm, I'm far from it, you know, to be able to forgive the ISIS person who did this to and, and cause so much pain for, for so many people. But at least I was able to kind of purge the, the hate that I had inside of me. I mean, he mm-hmm. was like, he had become such an important part of my life. You know, he, he, he was like, I, I thought about him, I dwelled about him, you know, I hated him. And then I realized something that was pretty profound that I realized that love is not infinite, like people say, you know, like to say, oh, love is infinite, because I couldn't have loved my son any more than I did. Mm-hmm. I loved him with all my heart, with all my soul, with every, I would have done anything for him. I just, oh, yeah. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to set him up, you know, I, I wouldn't eat like the best shrimp just to give it to him or whatever you know i, I know love, man. I love yeah. him anymore. so then i realized that you know love and the relationship between love and hate and that somehow i was somehow converting some of my love for my son mm. to hate for this guy it's profound so yeah. as an engineer i was thinking well if you have like a finite amount of flow and you're diverting some of it why should i be focusing and giving hate to this guy Converting love currency to hate mm. and sending it over to this guy. And I just cut him off, you yeah. know, yeah. and I converted a hundred percent of my focus and of my love and my emotions and my thoughts to my son. And, and like I said, and I'm, I'm still on a path towards forgiveness. You know, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to be man enough to say to the guy, you know, I forgive you. Even though sometimes I think of that Nick, you know, he was, uh, he was also shot and, and taken, you know, you know, by the police eventually after he did all that damage. And sometimes I, I think that Nicholas, you know, maybe saw him as they were transitioning and must have said, dude, you know, <laughs> that's not chill. You know, what did you do? You know, and yeah, but, you know, maybe they communicated. The guy was like just confused that maybe in his own perverted, sick way. And, and like I said, I'm sorry, just I'm, I guess here I am judging, you know, but in his own, you know, way that was obviously mentally ill. Well, I think, you know, as human beings, we do, we do judge. I mean, we do, some things are better than others. You know, killing a bunch of innocent people is is not a good thing. And, you know, I've been talking to people about soul planning and they're like, well, did they, did these people plan to do this? And if they did, does that mean it's okay? It doesn't mean it's okay. We have a different, we have a set of rules on this planet. We don't try to harm people and stuff. So that's, that's, it's not cool. As, As you said, that's not chill. That's but, and forgiveness is a process. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you kind of went through that because this is like the ultimate, this guy, you know, he, he, he takes the life of your, your most precious, you know, only son who's got all this promise. Yeah. This, I mean, it just doesn't get any more egregious than that, but you realize by holding on to that, you're, you're hurting yourself. And I love the way you put that you're diverting your energy. I don't want to, I, I want to say your love for Nicholas is infinite, but you're diverting your energy away from, you know, what you're, your, what you can focus on to this guy, you know? And so I think what you, I think what you said was just, 
profound. I think it was, I appreciate that very much. Well, you know, when the other thing I thought too, you know, from the guy's perspective that helped me, I go, you know, I obviously had the wrong friends. I said, God, if he would have met somebody, if he would have had a friend like Nick, because yeah. this guy, you know, he worked out, he went to the disco. He wasn't like the devouted Muslim guy that, you know, he was like a regular guy that went and did his thing. He drank, he went to bars and everything. Mm. If he would have met Nick, you know, or somebody like Nick, and he would have probably shared that, like his plan, somebody, a, a regular person would have said, dude, that's, that's not, that's not how you do it. That's not, that's not going to help. That's not going to solve a problem. That's wrong. But instead he had other people in his life that encouraged it, that said, Hey, yes, you know, we must avenge and, and do this thing, you know, but I'm confident that Nick as a debater, would have, he would have probably debated with the guy and probably convinced them to do something else who protest. Yeah, but do you know create a change in a positive way instead of like by creating all this harm, and and then what I did also realize that even though one person created all this pain for so many people, it was like out of that pain, so many incredible people and and, and light givers came out, mm -hmm. almost like if it was like a a, a a cell, like a virus in your body. Mm. And all the good cells surrounded him and surrounded me and, and everything mm -hmm. and kind of like just over overcame it because for that action that the guy did, there's a thousand actions that people, mm -hmm. strangers that we didn't know, you know, they were in our community. They were the ones that spearheaded the foundations for Nicholas, you know, mm -hmm. Berkeley did a uh, foundation just themselves, you know, for Nicholas called Victory of the People, mm -hmm. which is to help people, the uh, students that study abroad, you know, Berkeley has a lot of money. But a lot of these scholarships, they pay for your flight and your, you know, your, your tuition, you know, of study abroad. But they don't give you money for like beer and food. And I said, you know, my, this scholarship, I wanted it to make so people would have spending money. Because, you know, you go abroad and you need to have the experience because that experience, you can have young people talking to other young people. Because when you're young, you love everybody. You know, you're like, yeah. you, don't have, you don't build these walls. And the more interaction with these young people with other, they, they help shape other people's minds and views and, and create and changes the consciousness, you know, one person at a time. So I, I realized how, how he touched, like, you know, some of the people that he, he, he had a, a lot of good friends, a lot. He was very, very popular. Yeah. And some of his friends, you know, most of his friends are going to do, I guess all of his friends are going to do well, you know, and some of them are going to do a lot better and, and some of them are going to do incredible. And there'll be some people that are, are always, you know, going to think of Nicholas, you know, they have tattoos with his name and stuff. And, and I know for sure, Brian, that I'm sorry, I'm kind of breaking down a little bit. No, I, I know for sure that when the time comes for one of Nick's friends to do something, he'll do the right thing. You know, he might be like uh, in politics or something, you know, mm -hmm. or, or a CEO of a company and maybe he'll make the right decision thinking yeah. like, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, know? that's uh, wow. I, I'm, I gotta tell you, Kyra, I've never had as many chills going through an, uh, an interview as I had talking to you today. I really appreciate it. Um, so, Kyra, I, I gotta tell you, uh, it's just been so great to talk to you. I mean, like I said, I feel like I kind of know you through Paola. We, we do the Zooms and I see, I see you sometimes sitting on the couch next to her. Uh, <laughs> I've, only, I've only got this first time we've ever had a chance to talk face to face. I've enjoyed watching Paola's journey over the last few couple of years um, as, as she has, you know, dealt with this stuff and the, the joy in your face as you talk about your son is just, it's just amazing. It's just cool. Really sitting with you. And you sent me this great 
document you put together, Gifts from Nick, and I want to offer anybody that wants to get a copy of that, send me an email and uh, I'll send you a copy of that camera, give you permission to do that. So I'm um, again, I appreciate your time very much. Any, any last thing you want to say before we uh, say goodbye? No, you know that I think these things that happen are important and I'm, I'm really glad that I wrote, I wrote them and I'm really glad that you offered to share them uh, because it's so weird how your brain will try to erase stuff that, that doesn't fit with your reality, mm -hmm. you know? So as time comes, I, you forget things. Like there, there's one last one and we still have time I could share with oh, you. Oh, absolutely, for sure. That, um, and, and I call this one the star soul. And it, and it, it was like a two-part story. You know, it happened while Nicholas was here and then it got confirmation after he transitioned. We were in the car together. He came back from school, I think it's freshman year. And I could tell that something was off, you know, because you know how, you know, uh, parents could tell that something is wrong, mm -hmm. you know, very mm -hmm. empathic. And, and he said, uh, I go, Nicholas, what's the matter? Because he wanted to go home, you know, and he didn't, we were, we just went shopping where we wanted, and I wanted to go eat in a restaurant. And he goes, no, let's just go home and eat at home. And I go, no, let's go eat out. No, no, let's go eat home. And I go, I go, Nick, what's the matter? And he goes, there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing. He would just, he argued with me for like about five minutes, seemed forever, you know, and he mm -hmm. was such a good arguer, you know, I was like, <laughs> what do you do? You know, and then finally he did something that he had never done in his life. He broke down in tears. And he goes, I go, I said, what's the matter? He goes, goes, I don't know, dad. He goes, uh, I, I just feel like this world it's not enough for me that, mm. that I don't belong here. That is too small, this whole world. Mm. And, and I feel the pain of other people on my shoulders. I actually feel their pain. Wow. And I looked at him cause he, you know, he was not, you know, he was like a very happy kid. You know, we had great adventures, he, friends from everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, uh, and I was shocked. I didn't know what to do, Brian. You know, he was like, if you would have told me, well, you know, I've been partying too much in the fraternity, <laughs> you know, and I'm failing school, you know, I could have probably related to that and I could have probably gave him some advice. Right. I didn't know what to do. And I just like, like an idiot, I, I played it off and I laughed. I go, what, are you telling me you're an alien or something? And he goes, no, dad. And, and then that was it, you know, and, and I kind of like brushed it off the floor and didn't think anything else about it. And then once we, we moved here to Hawaii, one day, um, you know, we were just very sad, you know, and I, something inspired me or compelled me to Google exactly what he said. You know, this world is not big enough for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like it's too small, like I want more and um, that I feel the pain of others. And as I went down all the pages, I got to a page that said star souls. And I go, what, what's that? And I read about it and they said like, they said star souls are consciousness that, that come to help raise the consciousness of other people. And just for here for a brief moment to raise everybody's not, you know, awareness and, mm -hmm. and consciousness, you know? Mm -hmm. And I go, wow, and that was pretty mind blowing. And I kind of, and I told Powell about it and uh, you know, it didn't work to cheer her up, obviously, you know, right. but we went to the beach and we were sitting down in a beach looking at all these people having a great time, you know, everybody's like playing ball, kids are running, everybody's smiling. And I was sitting there looking at everybody going, wow, 
you know, how is this? How, how could I be in the same place in the same time as all these people, but completely be in a completely different reality? Yeah. Everybody's having yeah. such a great time. And, yeah. and, and why come on? And my wife, I'm looking at her. She's like tearing up, crying. I'm here looking at this thing, thinking the world sucks. And everybody's like having such a great time around me. And I, I go, it's like, I go, it's just not right. It's, it's like if you're doing a job and, and somebody's getting paid, you know, $150 an hour and you're doing the same job and you're getting paid nothing or $10 or whatever, you're going, wait yeah. a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not right. I'm in the same place. I come, I don't have this kind of joy. And I told Paul, I go, Paul, let's go take a walk. You know, and she started to cry. And as we were walking, Brian, uh, Paula said to me, what was that thing that you read? What was that thing? Mm-hmm. Star what? And I said, star soul. And I kid you not, we looked down in the ground and we found a cement star, but this big five-pointed star made out of concrete on her feet. Wow. And it was like, and we picked it up and it was like, it's amazing. Like, you know, you don't, you know, I could, I could come up with reasons that perhaps some kid had a mold and his dad brought cement to make stars <laughs> at the beach, you know, but it's not something that I've never encountered in my life something that you typically don't find at a beach, you know, right. solid. It's about maybe one inch thick, you know, and about five inches in, in, in width. Uh, perfect five-pointed, you know, like a perfect little star, the mm-hmm. kind of stars that they would put in your collar in school when you were a good kid. And, um, and it was at the right precise moment where I said star soul. Yeah. So like I said, you know, I, I don't know, you know, like I said, I, you know, my brain sometimes tries to justify these things and, mm-hmm. and and try to come up with explanations and it did drive me crazy and i finally came to the point where i said you know i don't know um i'm gonna call them gifts from nick because yeah. i feel good from nick and and whatever it is i know it has it's intelligent because it's able to manipulate you know time and space you know right i know it's compassionate because it feels our pain man it's like you know i mean you know, when you feel somebody's pain and you see somebody in pain, you know, you got to have that compassion to come up to that person. You know, it's like we're pitiful. You know, we are, we are pretty bad and we're still, you know, not over it yet. Obviously, I guess you never really go over it. But right. some of the, the times that we've gotten these gifts, we were just like sad, you know, I mean, like really pitiful, you know. Yeah. Well, so it, it was definitely compassionate and it has to do with love. You know, and it has to do with love because that's what brings it together, you know, to to get that message of love. And there are always positive messages like, you know, find joy in life, you know, you know, move forward. Um, and and, and I, like I said, I, I don't know, but it's, it's definitely helped all these messages that really helped me through my journey. It's gotten me where we are right now, moved out of our house because we follow these signs, you know, follow yeah. these these messages. Because I, I, without a doubt, I know that there's a bigger reality. I, I know that be, I'd be really foolish to think that what we see is what we, what is out there. And I, and I really learned uh, something about life that not to really judge reality or everything, the whole, by the little sliver of reality that we see. Because, you know, we only see like one little part, you know. Right. It's like watching almost like a, a TV very close and you only see a pixel. So it's really easy to judge and come to a conclusion based on your little sliver. But at the end, if you back up, you'll see that the whole is perfect. And then I believe in some kind of, you know, divine providence, you know, like you wow. know, Sweden talk about or something. Yeah. Just like see such a little sliver of it that it looks like chaos. 
to us. Yeah. But at the end, uh, you know, I know that something positive came out of Nicholas's transition. And I know he'll be waiting for me and the other side when I see him. I know that without a doubt, yeah. you know, and um, and I think the only sad thing that we have to go through is that, you know, we're, we'll be alone now, you know, and, and sooner or later, either my wife or I will pass and then that person will be alone. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, but but what keeps us moving is that, you know, the, the shortness of, of time, even if you have, and I think I've even heard you say this one time in one of your cast out, you know, a hundred years is just nothing compared to geologic time or, or the, yeah. the time for the universe, you know, for mounds to get created, volcanoes to collapse, you know, I mean, a hundred years is like not even, it's not even a significant digit right. in anything. It's less than a second. So I really believe that there is a, a, a greater reality. I do believe in the survival of the consciousness and that we'll be together. And I do believe that our time here, that whatever, you know, pain or joy that you suffer, it, it's, it's definitely, it's very, very short. And that, and that there's definitely some kind of, um, I, guess I, I guess, growth that you go through experiencing such a depth in the darkness of the opposite of love, kind of like the, that deprivation, you know, that, that pain. It really helps you become a little bit more compassionate and you can relate to people that perhaps are not doing well and stuff before it's really easy to kind of like just do your own thing and just you know hey you know what it is mm -hmm. so i think there is a lesson and i guess uh, and i'm optimistic that you know we're all you know changing and uh, i feel like my mission's like you know i'm not good like you reaching out to a lot of people but i think my goal is really just one consciousness at a time you know trying to raise that well, Conrad, I I can't add to that. That was that was a that was a beautiful summary. This has been a, a really just an amazing experience sitting down with you. I'm so glad you you sent me the document and we, we had a chance to to do this. Um, you're you're helping people, you know, by living your life. By you know, I, I've told people that go through this just by getting up every day and doing what we do. You know, you're inspiring people, and I'm I'm, I'm watched you know Paola grow you know over the years, and I've seen the things that she's doing. So I, I, again, this has been just fantastic. So thanks for doing this. Thank you so much, Ryan. All right. You have a good day. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to make it really easy for you to reach me. So just send me a text to 31996 and simply text the word growth. G-R-O-W-T-H. In fact, you can right now just say, Hey Siri, send a message to 31996. And when Siri asks you what you want to send, just say growth. You can do the same thing with OK Google. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, 
and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grieftogrowth.com. Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.